0: Hello, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bala Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, this is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we will focus on passages and destinations. In other episodes, we'll talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them as a guest on the show. Before we dive into this episode, we need to say a special thank you to our supporters. Several listeners are supporting the podcast using Patreon. If you'd like to join them, just go to patreon.com forward slash sailing the east.
1: Yeah, this is great, Bela, because what, this is episode 92, so we're getting close to triple digits already, which time flies, but yeah, thanks to all the listeners, the growth has been really um, incredible, Um, but you know, okay, 92 down, right? Our 91 down, here's one, the next one's ready to to go. What do you have teed up for today's episode?
0: Well, today, Mike, you know, fall is in the air. Uh, The evenings are cool. Uh, The daylight is getting shorter. And so I thought this would be a good time to maybe sort of do a recap on the sort of what we experienced, what we saw, and sort of the lessons we learned uh, from another sort of season that's almost in the book's. Uh and another sailing season that's almost in the books. I was out at the boat this past weekend, so it's Thursday. I was at the boat uh Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh had a great sail on Monday. Uh, you know, the Narragansett Bay runs north-south, and the prevailing wind is usually from the south. And the marina is sort of at the north end of the bay. So if I want to go any place, most of the times I'm beating into the wind or, you know, I'm tacking back and forth doing the zigzag pattern to get south. And on this particular day, uh, Monday, the wind was from the west. And when the wind is from the west or the east, I can basically go straight up and down the bay (laughs) and just kind of go out, set to sail, and go. And it was great. It was a sunny day. There was about 10 to 12 knots of wind, which our boat really likes 10 to 12 knots of wind. Uh, it's just, uh, it's sales really pleasant. It's well balanced. I'm doing five and a half to six knots. And, uh, it just, it was such a pleasure. It was really great. I, I really, I really, and I was doing it solo. So I was solo sailing. So that was, uh, really, uh, it almost felt, you know, spiritual when I was out there, it was one of those great experiences. Uh, so that was really cool. Uh, the other thing I did this past, uh, trip was I started the winterization process. Uh, You know, every year up here, everything freezes. So I need various different systems on the boat. And I tackled winterizing the generator and the air conditioning. So both of those use seawater to help cool those systems. So I need to basically get the seawater out of there and put in antifreeze in its place. So I got those two done, which will then make, uh, the rest of the winterization of the boat a little bit uh, easier next time. It was a rainy day on Tuesday, so it was perfect for me to tackle those two projects on the boat. Yeah. So that's what I did this past trip. And, uh, so let's, let's just kind of recap the whole, the whole summer. So paradox typically goes back into the water the first week in May. So the marina I'm at is, is amazing because every year I, I sign a contract to keep my boat there. And in that contract, they ask me, when would you like to put the boat in the water in the spring? And, and they, they ask for me to give them like a week, the week of. And at, in the fall, they always ask, when would you like to take the boat out? And the, the marina has about 350 boats in it. Now, probably a hundred of those go on trailers and people take them home. But the other 250 get taken out of the water and put up on land. And then there's a bunch of boats that come from other places because there's many marinas on the bay, on Narragansett Bay, that do not have any storage for boats in the winter. So those boats have to be taken out some other place. So I always view this as as sort of like a a game of... at the marina because people want to get the boat out at a certain time and then they want to put it back in. But they're putting these boats in these big parking lots that are all boxed in, right? Because they're trying to cram as many boats into a square foot as possible. So they they sort of have to think this all through because you don't want to put a boat way in the back that you want to then put in the water early. Because you can't get to it. And then the customer's not going to be happy. And I always ask for the first week of May to put the boat in the water. And the first week of November, take the boat out of the water. And I've been there four years now. And they have accommodated me every time. And and somehow, the geniuses there figure out how to do this. And it's just amazing to me. Because I'll look at where the boat is. Like this past when it was tucked away back in a corner and I'm going, oh my gosh, it's going to be middle of June before the boat gets in the water. But sure enough, <laughs> they got it put in the first week of May. So, uh, they're really, really good at that. And, and that's, uh, that's nice to, nice to see. So one of the projects I had for the boat this year was, uh, the boat has a dodger on it, which is, uh, sort of right in front of the cockpit. It's like a windshield. For the cockpit, so it kind of protects you from the wind and the elements. It's got a little bit of roof, of a roof on it, and it has windows in it. And these windows are made from uh, a, a plastic material that's flexible, because this the this dodger, as it's called, is made out of canvas, and and then the canvas has holes in it, and they put this flexible plastic, thin, you know, it looks like saran wrap, but it's really really thick version of saran wrap, and. And that stuff ages and it gets kind of cloudy. It's probably like having cataracts <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and the stuff, the stuff on the boat was getting pretty old. So it was, it was hard to see out of it, particularly when it would be wet. So I, uh, I said, okay, we're going to tackle that. Tackle means hire somebody to do that because that's sort of a specialized skill, uh, to sew that stuff in there. And, uh, you know, it got, got me thinking like that all of these Dodgers that every boat Every sailboat, most powerboats have a Dodger and, and a Bimini. A Bimini is sort of a, a little roof over the top of where you sit on the boat to protect you from the sun. And, and all of these things are made made custom. There's these canvas shops. There's one at the marina. And the guy comes out and he measures your boat. And then he makes this pattern. And you know then they cut the pattern out and they fit it to your boat. And it's all custom work. It's highly skilled because they look great, right? I mean, they know what they're doing. And when it's custom work, as you can imagine, it's pretty expensive. <laughs> it costs a lot of money. And like to do like a full Dodger set on my boat is probably like five or $6,000. Um, and I got to thinking, I mean, it, it, of my boat, of that model, I think they made close to 200 of them. So. Why don't they just come out with, some company come out with, okay, here's the standard, or or here's one that we made, and it's since we got the patterns already made, and all the boats are the same, here's, you know, it's $1,000 cheaper or something. I mean, it just seems like, and some boats, they make several hundred of them, you know, in a production run. So Mm -hmm. it always struck me as, why is this sort of such a custom a custom business. And I understand that, you know, people want the window here, not over there. They want it a little taller. They want it a little shorter, but I, I don't know if they actually want it that way, or that's just the way the person designed it because each one is custom designed. Interesting.
1: Well, sounds like a good digital platform business. And sounds like, you know, since one of us is retired and has some time on their hands, <laughs> that it, it might be interesting to talk to this this guy at the Marina and see if that's something he's interested in trying and, you know, do test it out you know do a do you know the imposter judo thing right where you put up a website and say hey here's these um these Dodger covers and these and these Bimini's for these five boats you know ones that he's made in the last year and if you want to order one here's the price and click here um and then if you're not sure he has them or they're ready say okay you know when you click it you say okay um, it's going to be three to six weeks, right. Or something like this right. for now and, and see what happens. But it might be interesting just to create a little e-commerce site and test that, that hypothesis out. Yeah. You, you know yeah. where to post that stuff, right? So, yeah,
0: it'd be interesting. I, I will say all of these people, all these canvas shops are busy. I mean, it took, it took like three months for me to get this done from the time I spoke to him to the time he delivered it. And I was at the Marina the same place he's at. So it's a super easy job for him. He doesn't have to go someplace, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right? There's no extra it, travel and, time, right? There's no extra travel time. It was basically take the old one off, uh, cut the old windows out. sew new windows in, <laughs> that's yep. all they did.
1: Right. It wasn't, and like then had to Can make you the whole install it yourself or does he have to go to install it?
0: He, he did that for me, but
1: right? you could do it. So if, if you were in right. California and you had your model boat and he UPS it to you, could you install it yourself? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So I think you should talk to him and test it out how, you know, and find out of that lag time, how many of, how much of that is the actual production time versus all the other things that are going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was sort of the one, the one scheduled uh, thing that I had done. Uh, The other comment I wanted to make was that uh, last year, at the beginning of last year, we had the bottom paint done on the boat. And, uh, there when we there. looked, when we took the boat out this past fall, uh, a year ago, almost, uh, the bottom paint still looked good. So, uh, we decided not to put another coat on it. And, uh, so this will be the second season on the bottom paint. So we'll see what it looks like when it comes. To, I mean, sitting at the Marina, it doesn't look like it has a lot of growth on it or anything. It looks like it's done quite well. Um, and we used, uh, uh, the brand we used was called Seahawk. And they have various different lines, and and the line we used was color coat, uh, and uh, it seemed to work pretty good. So we'll see what it looks like when we pull it out of the water. And uh, my guess is we'll probably have to put another coat of bottom paint on it for next year, because uh, getting two seasons out of out of a bottom paint is is pretty good, I think.
1: And what what's the ballpark? How much does that cost roughly?
0: Uh, well, this should be much cheaper because last time we we took off we yeah. took off all the old paint all the way down to the gel coat and we we put on some epoxy barrier coat. So the paint is pretty expensive. The paint runs 150 bucks a gallon. Uh, so it'll probably take uh, two and a half three gallons for me to do the bottom of the boat. Okay. One coat, and then you so put it on with a roller? Or do you spray yeah? You it roll, and it, and on. It, no, it, roll it on? No, you roll it on. Yeah, so you got to sand. You got to rough up the surface of the bit. old one, mm-hmm. so sand it, uh, and then you roll the new stuff on. And, uh, so it goes on pretty easy, uh, cause the, you know, the bottom is, is, isn't a flat surface, but mm-hmm. there's not a lot of sharp corners or stuff like that.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so, Wait, I, so I, you
1: I'm, do that yourself.
0: I am that's what I'm thinking. Yep. I'm mm-hmm. thinking of doing it myself. It's kind of nasty to sand that stuff because. Mm-hmm. Remember, it's put on the bottom so that marine life doesn't grow on it. So it's, it's sort of, toxic type stuff.
1: Yeah. So respirator, uh, please. Yeah,
0: you got to wear a respirator, and you got to put on one of those Tyvek suits and stuff. So it's mm-hmm. not a pleasant. I'm job. sure you'd look good in that Tyvek suit. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. I would. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so that's that's probably a project for. For next season before the boat goes into water next season so then you know when i put the boat in the water i have two bathrooms uh, two heads in the boat and on on the one near the back of the boat i noticed there was like a little puddle of uh this pink fluid which is the antifreeze that i used to to winterize the system on the floor and i go huh how did that leak on the floor that's kind of a weird place but i didn't think much of it and uh so you know Dewinterized the boat, got it ready, commissioned the boat as they, as they call it. And, um, uh, was using the bathroom and I noticed there a little puddle of water next to the toilet. And I go, Hmm,
1: that's not good.
0: What's going on there? And you know, I'm looking at the ceiling. Like, did I leave the hatch open and the water dripped in, or did I splash water on the floor? Um, so I finally figured out, Hmm, I got a leak in the toilet. And, uh, so that's not good. And the good news was the toilet wasn't plugged. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the real disaster on a toilet is when, it, particularly on a boat, is if the toilet gets plugged.
1: Because <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: that's not pleasant. The toilet was not plugged at all, but it was leaking. And there's a couple places that the toilet can leak. There's there's sort of a gasket, just like on your house toilet, where it sort of mm-hmm. attaches to the ground. There's a gasket there. And these toilets, marine toilets, come sort of in two flavors. There there's mechanical ones where there's a hand pump where, where you sort of you do your business and then there's like a, a little hand pump you pump up and down and that's what pumps the stuff out into the holding tank. Um, and then, uh, the other popular kind these days are electric ones. So mine's an electric one. So there's an electric motor and I basically just push a button and that a motor turns on and it's, and it grinds it up. It's got a blender in it, kind of grinds everything up and pumps it out into the tank. works great. So uh, I much prefer those over the mechanical, mechanical pump ones. Sure. And, and, uh, so I go, okay, I got to figure out what's going on here. So I, I flushed a lot of clean water through the toilet, (laughs) put on my rubber gloves, and I figured out that there was a leaky seal on the, on the pump motor, uh, on the, the blender slash pump. And, uh, so I was able to get a rebuild kit and, uh, I got a for it. put the seal in, put it all back together. And, uh, it has worked great all year, but that was sort of, uh, first dive into the Marine toilet. And uh, like I said, <laughs> Literally. I was, yeah. I was very glad it was not a clog. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was, I was happy. It was just a, a, a leaky, a leaky seal on a pump.
1: So like time yeah. and money, how, how much did that, the rebuild kit cost, and how many hours did it take you to troubleshoot and repair?
0: Yeah. So I think the rebuild kit was like $45 or something. Okay,
1: so not much. Yep. Yeah.
0: It gave me all the gaskets and all the seals. And I now, you're right, now you all... got
1: stuff for next time, right? Right. Now I got, right.
0: So that was all, all good. Uh, uh, the, the, it took me a while to figure it out, right? It's the first time I ever dove into it. All right, watch. I did uh, watch a couple of YouTube videos <laughs> to sort of try to figure out what's going on, and and then it took me a while to, oh, okay, this is the seal that's leaking. So I probably spent, I probably spent a good hour or two, kind of taking things apart and diagnosing it, and and then uh, another hour putting stuff back together. Uh, the elapsed time was you know, three or four days. Cause I had to order the, the kit online. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. find one locally. Um, so thank, you know, Amazon took care of that. Uh, if I had to do it again, I, I could probably do the whole thing in, you know, two hours, if, if not faster.
1: Sure. Cause right. once you do it once, right. You recognize it, you know how to fix it. You get the, you've, you know.
0: Right. I know how to take things apart. I know where the seals are and all that kind of stuff. So, so that's <clears> just first learning curve. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it always takes me a long time the first time.
1: It's true of everything and everybody in life. Right. I think, you know, (laughs) Yeah. so unless you get, unless you get really lucky. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And so for everything like this, I mean, there's obviously some things where you know, you're going to call, you know, take it to the Marina or call somebody or something, right. Like the windows (laughs) on the Dodge or something like that, but something like this, like how long would you go before you called, uh you know, somebody to come in and look
0: at it if you couldn't figure it out yourself a week, two weeks. Uh, I'm pretty persistent on this stuff. And I I probably have an overabundance of self-confidence that I can fix these <laughs> things, <laughs> which which has gotten me into trouble sometimes. Um, but I and I enjoy tackling this stuff.
1: Right. And you're uh, retired uh, and right. And, and it's retired. not going to sink the, the boat and it's not like it's spewing right. sewage all over the inside of your boat or anything like right. that, you know?
0: Right. Right. Uh, so for example, here, here's, here's a good, good thing. There was, a uh, uh, one of the, for me to reef the mainsail, I'm going to talk about this later. Um, but when I reefed a mainsail, there's a line there that I use to reef it and it's a continuous loop line. So it's, it's a line that's been spliced together. So it's a loop. And, and, uh, so you, you, you pull on, you pull the line one way and it rolls this thing up and you pull it the other way and it unrolls it. It's a very clever design. However, if that line breaks, it takes a special splice to splice this half inch rope together. So it looks like a continuous rope. And that broke on me this year. And, uh, I went to the marina and I said, Hey, you guys, cause I, I watched a couple of YouTube videos and I was like, mm, I think I could do this. Um, but when it broke, I, I went to the marina, I said, Hey, is there someone here? And, uh, they said, Oh yeah, you know, Frank's the, Frank's the guy. He's, he's our line splicer. He's cause there's all sorts of lines that get spliced on, on boats. I mean, you don't think about this, but you know, they, they take a rope and they, and they splice a loop into the end of it. And, and all that stuff is handwork. There's all sorts of things like that on various different lines, so he said, "Yeah, Frank does that." So I said, "Okay, send Frank down. I got a job for him." And and Frank came down and he spliced this. It took him probably about 25 minutes to to splice. You know, take the old rope off, thread it through all the things it threads through, and then splice it in place there because you can't splice it in the in the shop. You have to actually splice mm-hmm. it on the boat. So attach so, it. It's got to be attached. Yeah, right? it's otherwise be, it doesn't work. Right. Right. Exactly. And he's got some sort of little device that. Yes. Yeah. He had these little long skinny fiddles and he knows how to cut it and he threads it through. And it it was pretty clever, just like watching a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, but there's an example of something that I just, I I have, I don't have a lot of experience with that.
1: Right. You could have done it, but by the time you bought the little device and spent the time to learn it and right, that it would have been, it's way cheaper and faster to have Mm -hmm. this guy walk down to your boat. Do it. Yes. And it was like the same day. Was it like the same day that you went in or the next day? The next fast? day
0: you came yeah. down the next so, day. So yeah, it w- I would have had to buy like $75 in tools and this was the original rope. So the original one lasted 13 years. <laughs> this so hopefully one this last lasts just as long. As long. Yeah.
1: yeah, Interesting. Yeah. And w- so what's the total cost of something like that?
0: So I think the, his labor was like 75 bucks because it was like a half hour. And I think okay. they bill out at 150 at the marina. Mm-hmm. And uh it was about another sixty dollars for the rope itself.
1: Yeah. So that was cheaper
0: you know? than you figuring it all out on your own. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So anyway.
1: Now, but so if you I, were like, okay, but would you what would happen if you were crossing the ocean, right? Right? Um, like some of our guests, right? Would you would you have one of those splicing kits and do it yourself on the fly, or would you just kind of fix it on the, you know, kind of do a temporary fix and go, or just deal with it?
0: So that's a good question. I, I think, I think before this happened, I would have just gone with it. I think now I would have a splicing kit and some extra line. If you're going on a long trip. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Cause you can't roll up. I mean, it actually broke on Andy and I, when we were out sailing. <laughs> And we figured out, and, and the sail was out when the it's, line and it's broke. flapping, right? If it's and, right, and so we got to b- figure out some way to bring it in. So mm-hmm. we did figure out a way because we we basically had a long piece of line that we threaded through in one direction mm-hmm. and pulled. And then we pulled it until we ran out of line, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then we threaded it through again, it again, right? right? Right. So we did it like three times. Uh, because the, 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 whole idea of the continuous line is you just right, keep going as much you as you don't need really as
1: much line. Right. Right.
0: It's, so it was laborious, but we were able to roll up the sail Um, and, and we, we figured that out. So,
1: but it, this was nice conditions. There were two of you, right. And something right. a little right. worse, it might've been a little hairier. Huh? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah, that's always a good question. How much stuff do you take with you on a long trip? You know, how self-sufficient you want to be. And you know, these folks who go to the South Pacific or, you know, they go to Greenland. Or, I mean, you have to be a hundred percent self-sufficient.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. you can't buy you can't call Frank to come down and splice this right. for you. <laughs> right, right. right. And and so you you have to figure it, it it does it does put a whole nother level of sort of self-reliance in the picture. Right. It's sort of self-reliance and this notion of managing your resources, managing your food, managing your water, managing your power (laughs) and, you know, being off grid and sort of being very conscious of that. I think I, I shared with you the story once I was talking to somebody and, and who, who oftentimes have guests on their boat. They, 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 they charter their boat, but they charter it. So they're the captain and the cook. And they bring guests on. So the guests, if they want to sail, they can. But if they just want to lounge around, they can lounge around. And oftentimes people or their friends will offer to do their dishes. And they always say, no, 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 we'll do the dishes. Because people on land waste water like crazy. <laughs> And when you're on a boat, you know, they learn the lesson the hard way. People would be doing dishes and they just leave you the run water, out running. Of water. Right. <laughs> right. No, right. you can't do that. <laughs> we, we only have 120 gallons for the week.
1: <laughs> right. You can use one to clean up,
0: right? Not 10. Right. right. So you put a little bit of water in and, and then and the you wash can, all the, you know. Right. So we, we always do the dishes because they, they've just gotten in this mode of conservation. And, and so it really makes you aware of that stuff. What. Even for us, I mean, and we tend to be pretty conservative on that kind of stuff, but it really was like, oh, wow, you know, you got to manage your electricity, turn the lights off, don't leave them on all the time <laughs> and just stuff like that. It It's really good for that. Yeah. Cool.
1: This is cool. So, okay. You know, so you had a few things to fix and none of them turned out to be major this year, which, you know, knock on wood was good. What else did you do um, this season yeah. that we can talk through?
0: Oh, so another, another repair thing was I noticed one day when we're out motoring around the, the, uh, the instrument panel for the engine, uh, has an oil pressure gauge on it, has a water temperature gauge and oil pressure gauge on it. And, and the oil pressure gauge normally hangs around it. I don't know, 40 or 60. And all of a sudden I looked at it and it was like pegged way over to the right. Oh, like, you know, Whoa, that's kind of weird. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, the engine sounded okay. I mean, that's better than going to zero. <laughs> right. Right. But this, still went wrong. The other direction. Yeah. Still something's going on. But then it would go back to normal. And then it would peg itself. Mm. So it was bouncing around. So I figured, ah, it must be electrical. Some connection's a little dirty or corroded. So when I got back next day or something, I I, I found where the oil pressure sending unit was on the engine. And I kind of took the connector off and I cleaned it. And I put it back. And next time I used it, Hey, it's working good. But that lasted like for an hour or two. And then it was doing hmm. the same thing again. And, uh, so eventually I, I diagnosed that the oil pressure sending unit was bad. Uh, hmm. so, and, and the gauge and the sending unit were made by the same manufacturer, a company called VDO. Uh, and, uh, so that was the brand. so, I, I I found uh, a sending unit. Uh, so the engine is made by Yanmar, which is a, a Japanese company. And uh, I, it turns out that this this sending unit has a special thread on it. It's called a B-S-E-T, which is British Standard Pipe Thread. Hmm. And I've never heard of this. I, oh. and, 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 either of I and the rest of the world the rest of the world uses npt which is national pipe thread <laughs> and and so i priced out so we i priced out the yanmar sending unit 150 bucks cuz it's got this special thread on it hmm. and you know it took a little bit of research on the internet and you know listening to other reading about other people's horror stories about these sending units to for me to figure this out and uh, so I said, "Hmm, but I found a regular uh, 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 another same brand, video brand, oil pressure sending unit that had the national pipe thread, which is what most of the world uses, for 17 dollars. <laughs> so I said, hundred and fifty versus 17. This is crazy. Same exact unit, except the threads are different. And then Again, because of doing some research on, on various different sailing forums, this is where these sailing forums are mm-hmm. really good. Somebody said, hey, and I was reading about this person with the same problem, this person found an adapter, huh. and, a, and a national pipe thread at one end and a British standard pipe thread on the other end. <laughs> so I found one of those adapters online, nine bucks. <laughs> so... I bought the $17 sending unit that had the, you know, national pipe thread fitting on it and this adapter. And so I solved the whole problem for, you know, 26 bucks as opposed to 150 and put the new sensor in there, works great, works absolutely great. Yeah. And why there's these two pipe thread standards is beyond me, right? So I did a little research, so listen to this. This is the difference between the two of them, Mike. So national pipe threads differ from the British <coughs> standard pipe threads in tooth angle. <laughs> so the really? tooth angle is, yeah, the tooth angle, 60 degrees versus 55 degrees.
1: <laughs> so the number of threads are the same. It's just the angle of no, no. The threads are no, different.
0: No, 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 Threads, the national pipe thread has 11 and a half threads per inch. And the British standard pipe thread has 11 threads per inch. Oh,
1: dear inch. Lord. So nothing <laughs> works. All right it's so it's close
0: so the danger here is it feels like it might want to go in right and on some on some forums i read people just said yeah i just screwed it in there and it works yeah, fine but, but that's not what you want to be doing on something friends. like this right 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 because you get one shot at it right yeah but wh- why do you have to have those two standards which are so freaking close it just drove me nuts it's like why but anyway I can say something right.
1: about the British, but we'd get a lot of user, <laughs> uh, listener feedback. So I'm not even going to go there.
0: Right. Right. So those were, that; those were kind of the repairs pieces. Uh, also had a couple of great trips uh, this year. So let's talk a little bit about yeah. trips. Uh, I did a four day trip with a ski patrol buddy of mine, uh, Larry, and we did this in the third week in May, which is pretty early in the early. season still. Yeah. yeah. And. But the great part about that is we got into a marina in Newport. So there's a, there's this marina in Newport, there's a bunch of marinas in Newport Harbor, but excuse me, one of them is called Newport shipyard and Newport shipyard is part of the safe Harbor Marina family that my Marina is, which means if they have a slip, I can stay there for free. So used their reservation system, was able to get a slip there for three day, four days at Newport Shipyard. Now, the unique thing about Newport Shipyard is this is one of the only super yacht-capable shipyards kind of in the, this part of, you know, Long Island Sound, Boston area. At U- there was a 140-foot sailboat there. It was wow. unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And and there I've were other huge mega yachts there. Hmm. Yeah. I, I I mean, these were just un unbelievable. It's about a five-minute walk to Newport. I mean, our boat was probably the smallest boat in the marina. Wow. <laughs> you, know, you know, my boat's not that small. It's no 40, 45 feet, but it was probably the smallest boat in the marina. So it was like a five-minute walk to downtown Newport, which was really nice. So the other interesting thing was this marina. Um has um uh, uh a nice little restaurant where they serve breakfast and lunch with a little veranda that you can sit out on. It's got a gym, right? Where you can uh-huh. work out, right? It's got a gym. Uh and and then it's got bathrooms and showers. And the bathrooms and showers were like in this trailer, and it hmm. was just scratching my head, and like, I This is hey, kind of weird. Going on? Yeah, hmm. what's going on? And then Larry and I were talking about this at dinner, and he said, you know what? All of those boats in the marina probably have really nice showers and bathrooms yep. <laughs> You know, with marble <laughs> and gold faucets and stuff. They're not going to put all their clothes into a little bag and walk up to use the bathroom and shower on land. They're just right, that's stay. just the staff. Or, right, <laughs> that's right. Exactly. That's just for schmoes like me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so uh, we figured that out, out why that was true. Um, so that was kind of neat. Uh, so it was really neat to kind of, kind of stay at this fancy, fancy high-end, uh, boat yard, uh, a working yard. There's a lot of boats up on land, a lot of big mega yachts up on land they were working on. And, uh, it was just, you could see it was really geared towards kind of super yachts coming in and having maintenance work done on them. Um, but from there, it's really a short sail out to, uh, what's called block Island sound, which is where the mouth of the Chesapeake kind of the mouth of Narragansett Bay dumps out into the ocean. Um, and you know, so it's fully exposed from the South. I mean, if I sailed South out of Narragansett Bay, I think Antarctica is the next chunk of land I hit. Wow. (laughs) Right. So you get big swells out there, you know, you get these big rolling waves, uh, and, uh, so we went out there, uh, three days <laughs> and we think, oh, okay, we're going to try to say, we want to sail the block Island and back. Cause we'd leave in the morning and in the morning we had a, a good breeze. So, and we're going straight towards long, straight towards block Island. And we'd get about halfway there. And then the wind died. And we tried that three times and all three times it was the same pattern. <laughs> hey, we're going to make it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the wind Didn't would die. Wow. Yeah. And then we end up motoring back. So anyway, uh, that was, that was one nice trip I had, uh, but you never I, made it to block Island. Never made it to block. Island. So
1: is that on your bucket list for next year? Are you going to try it again is. or, okay. Uh,
0: not this season, but it's, it, yeah, I'd like to year. make it to block Island. Yeah, we have, I mean, we could have motored there. Right. But, yeah. but that's not the point. Right. That's not the point. Yeah. And, uh, so then the, let's see the next trip out to the boat, uh, was a working trip, uh, not on the boat. But my son, as you, as you know, one of my sons lives out there very close to Marina, and he, has, he bought this old house. Him and his wife bought this old house, and they've been rehabbing it. And kind of their last big project is they have some dormers on the second floor, and they were replacing the windows on those dormers. So uh, I helped him get those two windows. Um, I was there, Kate's father was there, and the four of us kind of we're able to get the old windows out and the new windows in, and you know we're hanging off of ropes on the yeah. roof because you're on the roof, and you know we have climbing harnesses on, so it was a labor-intensive job, but we got that done, so that was kind of fun. Um, yeah. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, Amber hot and icy cold. Rage of the Earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not. But she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade Two. Play it now with Game Pass.
1: Cool. No, it's nice to help the kids with that. And right, that yeah. is a tough project getting up there on those dormers. I've seen. People. I've never. I've done a little bit of roof work and I've done a little bit of window work, but never hanging like that up there. I can imagine that's a little yeah. bit of touch and go and
0: trying to get everything
1: square and level and, right. But mission yeah, accomplished and, and no injuries.
0: Yeah. No injuries. Nope. Nobody fell off the roof. And, and it's one of those things where you just need a lot of people, right? Cause you need mm-hmm. some people on the ground. You need some people in, inside the house. You need some people outside the house. So anyway, <clears throat> and then, so after that, I did an, a trip with, uh, with my son uh, a four-day trip with my older son, not Andy, but my older son Jason. Jason. Uh, and uh, so this time, uh, this was the second week in June, and uh, we try. I tried to get into Newport Shipyard again. Couldn't get in there. Uh, they said, "Sorry, we're we're we we full." Mm. Yeah. And uh season, so right? we, Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. The season starts. Mm-hmm. So we went to Jamestown Boatyard. Jamestown Boatyard is directly across from Newport Harbor. On Jamestown Island, and there they don't have any any slips. All they have are moorings, so which is uh, fine, right? Yeah, which is fine. So that was great. So we got on a mooring. Uh, it was about a thirty-minute walk down into Jamestown, which is a nice little town. It's got some restaurants, you know, little shops of various different types. So we uh, we took took up a mooring. We walked downtown to, to Jamestown uh and uh so that was kind of nice we got the, we had a nice dinner at a restaurant down there one night the other couple nights we cooked on the boat and here again we we wanted to go to block island <laughs> that was sort of what we, we were going to do the theme. Yeah, here we yeah. go again and so i think the first morning we wake up and it's foggy and it's like really foggy so we go eh, okay we took our time we had a nice breakfast it was still fo- – it wasn't foggy right where we were, but as soon as you looked south out in towards the ocean or uh, towards uh, Block Island Sound, you could see it was foggy. It. So, yeah, so, what decided, yeah, so what we decided – yeah, so we decided to do was let's go motor around Newport Harbor because Newport Harbor is a big harbor. Beautiful, probably got right. a, Yeah, probably got a 1,000 boats in it. And I didn't know this, but there's fundamentally a perimeter – I call it a perimeter road – Ah, per- perimeter path that goes around the harbor. So this perimeter goes hmm. between land and all the restaurants and shops, and where all the boats are moored. So it's okay. it's sort of you can basically go all around the harbor because the the boat the moorings are basically set up in a grid pattern. Um, and so we went over there and we motored around this perimeter road. So we basically were able to see the whole harbor and see all these cool looking boats. It's just got this great, variety of old boats and brand new boats and mega yachts and stuff. And, um, uh, by the time we sort of took our time and motored around that, the fog started to lift. So we said, great, let's start going out, out into Block Island Sound. So we're starting this, a uh, little bit of a breeze, not very much, but we put our sails up and we're sort of sailing out and there's a boat in front, a sailboat in front of us, probably maybe 200 yards in front of us. And it was sort of a hazy day, so sometimes it's it's hard to see the horizon, like where the water stops and the clouds start, you know, because everything is sort of fo- a little bit foggy and hazy. And and we noticed that the sailboat in front of us just kind of disappeared. Like, where'd they go? I mean, they were. We saw them there a second ago, and now they're gone. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. yeah. And 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 then we keep going in that direction, and then we notice sailboat pops out, up again, but now it's heading towards us. Well, it was a, a Ooh, fog bank, Okay. but you couldn't – you See, I couldn't distinguish it. the fog bank.
1: Yeah, right? it's opaque in the same color as the, yeah. the sky oh, and the
0: water. Oh, everything was the same color. And I said, holy crap. And it was like this boat just disappeared and then reappeared. And we said, okay, we're not going anywhere. So we turned ghost around. Ships. Yeah. <laughs> yes, ghost ships, exactly. Exactly. So, so that was, that was kind of neat. Uh, and then the other two days we had some good sales out in, in, out there. Um, and it was Jason's kind of first experience out and out in the ocean with swells and rollers and stuff like that. And oh, again, we didn't quite make it to the block Island. Uh, so we ended up coming back to Jamestown boatyard, uh, Jamestown, uh, both times. Um, uh, so that was pretty good. Yeah, cool.
1: That's really neat. Need to now both kids have been out on the ocean with you and
0: right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So, OK, yeah. what
1: was the next trip after that?
0: Oh, so The next trip was Andy and Kate. So right. this worked out really great because uh, Elaine got to watch June, the baby. So Elaine mm-hmm. stayed at their house and watched June when Andy and uh, Kate came out to go sailing with me for, so it was three days, it was just two nights. And, right. uh, so Andy and I were sailing out down towards the bay. Again, the same plan. We were, this time we were going to stay in, um, a place called Dutch Harbor, which is on Jamestown Island, but it's on the Western side of that Island. Yeah. And, uh, whereas, uh, Jamestown where we stayed at, um, uh, Jamestown Harbor was on the east side, Dutch Harbor's on the west side. Uh, again, it's only Moorings. So that's where we were going to stay for two nights. Okay. And so we're we're starting to leave our marina and we get out into the bay and we start unrolling the sail and it jams. So turns out I was I was not diligent the last time I rolled the sail up. And so when I this is the main sail. I think I've talked about this before. Our Mm -hmm. mainsail rolls up into the mast and, you know, it's a confined space. So it has to, you have to roll it up snugly and, and you have to roll it up properly so there's no wrinkles in it. And I wasn't paying attention last time I rolled it up. So when I went to unroll it, it didn't want to come out. So Andy and I struggled with that for, for quite a while. And you, the trick, uh, the proper technique for rolling it up is you have to make sure the boom is at the proper angle because you you can imagine... Like up and down? Yes, exactly, okay. right. Boom has to be at the proper angle because if it's up too high, then when you roll up the sail, the top of the sail wrinkles. Okay. Right? Because you have this triangular piece that's not... Yeah. And if, if it's down too low, then the bottom of the, the sail bottom. wrinkles. So, so it's got to be perfectly
1: have, perpendicular.
0: Right. And what happens is if you have too much wind pressure on the sail, when you, in order to roll it up, you have to sort of release the, the back end of the sail that's holding the sail tight. You have to release that. And then if there's too much wind pressure on the sail, it automatically lifts the boom up. And that's what happened to me. Okay. So uh, it, it doesn't really lift the boom up, but the sail can go up because it, you have slack in it, rolled up sloppily. And so it was jammed and Andy and I fussed with that for probably a good hour and a half. And what you have to do is you basically have to just roll it in a little bit, let it out a little bit, roll it in a little bit let, and just kind of work it back and forth. And uh, we got it unjammed, but a, a good a good lesson learned uh, in sort of in sort of that that pay attention to when you're rolling it up because you can you can get it <clears throat> in trouble. So here again, we got a mooring in Dutch Harbor. Uh, The first night was great. It was really nice. The second night, boy, we had a blow come through. We probably had 30 knots of wind. And Dutch Harbor is well protected for winds from the south, winds from the east, and winds from the west. But it's not super well protected from winds from the north. And guess from what direction the winds were blowing. From the north. From the north. (laughs) So... I don't think any of us slept very well that night, and um, it felt—it reminded me of when I was doing those ocean passages and trying to sleep at night when we're on the ocean. I mean, the boat was rocking up and down as if we were sailing out on the ocean. It was remarkable, Um, but we did venture out into Block Island Sound. And uh, this was the the first trip out there for Kate, the first time she'd ever been sort of out in the ocean. Andy went out with me last year out there. Uh, and interesting enough, they both got a little seasick. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, we had some big swells. We probably had five-foot swells. So the boat's moving up and down pretty good. Um, and I think both of them went... Separately, they went down below to to do something, and when they were mm-hmm. down below, they came up and said, oh, "I can't stay down there much longer and that's what happens to a lot of people when is when you go down below and you're you can't everything's moving, but your brain right, there's doesn't no
1: horizon there's no right, horizon to look see. at yep.
0: right so but they came up and and I mean they didn't throw up or anything, so they weren't that sick, but they just felt a little off uh and then a cool thing happened I've never seen this in in uh in the harbor before, in the bay, in Narragansett Bay, on our way back, just north of the Jamestown-Verrazano Bridge, we saw a bunch of bottlenose dolphins. Wow. Yeah, and you know, you always see pictures of dolphins like swimming next to the boat. That's not mm-hmm. what this was. There must have been a big school of bait fish in there because there was a, a hundred of these dolphins swimming around. And you could see they were feeding because they mm-hmm. were all around the boat in this big area. And they, you could just see them come up for air and then go back down and then come up for air and they were all over the place. So that was really, really cool to see that. That was a, a great experience.
1: Neat. And they don't care about you, right? They just, no. they don't care. Interesting. I mean, And would like oh, a
0: boat, if the motor was on, would they go move away or they don't no, care? They don't care. I, I mean, I, on those passages, when we were out in the ocean, sometimes they'll come follow the boat for a half hour. They'll just swim next to the boat. Mm. you know for whatever reasons they do that yeah so yeah but uh, the movement of the boat doesn't seem to bother them whether it's a motorboat or a sailboat uh so it was cool neat
1: neat that's awesome
0: yeah so yeah i mean that's a
1: pretty good that's a pretty good season right wouldn't you say yeah it was and of course
0: right? we can't forget oh, wait, Camp Par- paradox yeah you took your grandkids out right <laughs> Yes, which which they call camp paradox, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so had the girls out. Uh, they're seven and nine for one week, uh, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, we basically just did day sails out of the marina, and um, there's a, there's a pool at our marina, so you know they spend some time at the pool. We go out and sail for them. Sailing for two or three hours is enough, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but we had a great time. They always they love coming to the boat and uh so that was that was really great and and then oh the other thing is uh my niece and her fiance came with us for two days they did this last year as well and they continued their tradition of coming sailing with uncle Bela and no wind <laughs> so oh. <laughs> last year they came for i two remember days. you told me about this yeah. last year <laughs> it was hey. like no wind one of the days was rainy and this this year is the same thing like no wind um but however, on one of the days we went to the Hirschhoff museum in Bristol. So Hirschhoff is a really, really famous early 1900s boat designer. So he designed a bunch of the America's cup winning boats back in the days when, you know, the boats were made out of wood and they're very traditional looking boats. So there's a museum down there, uh, that we went to check out. And, uh, I was really imp- it was much nicer than I expected. I expected you know sort of a little tourist trappy type museum. Mm-hmm. This was really cool. They had a bunch of boats uh, inside the museum, because uh, ver- they made all sorts of boats, uh, not just sailboats. Uh, and it was interesting. It was the, the business was was started by two brothers uh, who, who sort of ran the business. One of them was sort of the genius boat designer. Uh, and the other one was sort of the operating person, you know, who just ran the business. And at one point in time, they employed like 350 people there in Bristol. I mean, it was a big operation and they made Mm -hmm. boats for the Navy. They made, you know, commercial boats. Uh, they made all sorts of boats and they made these sailboats that, won a bunch of awesome. America's cup races yeah. yeah so they had a bunch of boats on display they had a really good um, movie like a 45 minute movie that sort of told the whole story uh that was really helpful good for a rainy
1: day right yeah
0: and and you could walk on the boats some of the boats you could get into and walk around on uh so it I, it was I was blown away by and I think it was like I don't know 12 bucks or something like to walk through the museum and we spent a good several hours I think we were there for like three hours uh it was really really nice so that's the Hirschhoff Museum in Bristol Rhode Island I highly recommend it it was uh, right. it was really cool
1: yeah I'll put it on my uh on my list next time yeah.
0: I'm there. yeah cool well that sounds
1: neat so okay and that was that's your season right
0: yeah pretty much so yep I mean here it is it's uh, September 21st when we record this uh I probably got maybe another trip to the boat for some sailing coming up i think at the end of the month and then after that it's uh another trip out to get it ready to pull out of the water and that'll be it
1: all right well i think we can rate this season a success on all counts right do you have any goals or ideas for next season i mean is any of our guests motivated you to push your limits a little bit or just more of the same
0: well i'd like to get to block island
1: (laughs) yeah for sure
0: (laughs) you know uh i like block island yeah i like to like to get that's that's the closest sort of Island, uh, -hmm. to us, uh, Martha's Vineyard, uh, and Nantucket are a little further away. Uh, so I'd like to try to get there, but we'll see, you know, as, as we've learned in sailing, the wind has to be in the right direction and the right intensity. And, uh, if we get there, great. If we don't, eh, that's okay too. Yeah.
1: Great. Well, what do you think time to wrap this one up?
0: Yeah, I think so. So hopefully, it was a it was a nice uh, a nice summary of you know what we did this summer and and give people give our listeners a a, a nice uh, uh, view into what sort of uh, a summer of sailing is like up here on Narragansett Bay.
1: Nice. Well, listeners, thanks for tuning in once again, and uh, we hope that you found this interesting and enjoyable. And um, if you have questions about anything that we've discussed, please please feel free to get in touch with us as always. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at
0: gmail.com. Hey, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting app. That really helps us uh, and helps other listeners find us. So if you know of someone that would be a good guest on the show, uh, let us know. Uh, I'd love to invite them on. So hope to see you out there. So uh, end of the season is getting close. It's starting to get chilly here. I think this morning it was 39 degrees here at the house in upstate New York. So uh, see you soon, Mike.
1: All right, Bela, that's great. And I think, right, if I'm not mistaken, next our next episode is a follow-up from our friend Simon and Sawyer, right, crossing the Atlantic. Is that, uh, am I off on that?
0: Nope, you're right. So I recorded that uh, the other day. And uh, I think when you and I get together next time, uh, we'll do the intro and outro to that one. So that's sort of the last leg of their trip from Horta. Uh, to Spain, to France, and then to the UK. So that was a good uh, a good interview I had with them. They had some interesting times, uh, and uh, that should be the episodes that follow this one.
1: I can't wait. And so listeners, you'll need to tune in after this one, and uh, we'll finish up this long story that we followed, uh, Simon and Sawyer, in their in their incredible journey. So from over here in Münster, Germany, Bela, I'll see you next time.
0: Sounds good, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye.